Hey guys, Alex here. This podcast is a live event recorded October 15th and released on the 19th to give you some context for Joel Gratz's mentions of active forest fires and also the five to 10 day weather outlook. Okay, let's do it. Not gonna be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 86. Are you ready for the world's scariest coin flip ever? Yeah, me neither. So let's put that aside. A year ago, I featured an event from Neptune Mountaineering in Boulder where Joel Gratz, founder of Open Snow, gave a Colorado winter outlook. This year's event was virtual, so there's less crowd heckling and the audio is not quite as good, but the content is great as ever, and it's paired with Jason Maurer of the Colorado Mountain School, giving us an audio look inside a backcountry guides pack. This was a two plus hour virtual event, and I've sliced it down to the key 45 minutes or so. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast for my strange front range foothill low country skiing pursuits. Episode announcements, questionable parenting, and COVID ski season analysis slash jokes. There's also a podcast voicemail, 802-560-5003. I'm currently collecting winter slash car related questions for our next car talk episode, which will be recorded after six questions are submitted. One is in there so far, so five more to go. Call 802-560-5003 and leave your car related question after the beep. My email is alex at wintrymixcast.com if you want to say hello. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are the best. And I'm not going to bribe you with gear to leave them. Just do it because you appreciate editing and a ski podcast that isn't mostly pro talk. 250 or so of you have done your job. The rest of you, you'll just be one day older when you do. A quick glance into the archive features episode 78, all about I-70, Episode 59, which was the original Car Talk. Most recently, 85, with the co-founder of Bluebird Backcountry. And a deep cut is episode 42, where I got interlodged in Little Cottonwood. Scroll it deep and stand by for the goods. This episode of Wintry Mix is supported by the Ten Barrel Brewing Company and Bojo's Colorado Style Pizza. Commerce is a little funky right now, but you can still buy beer. Grab some Ten Barrel, the new Nature Calls IPA perhaps, or the soon-to-drop Pray for Snow Winter Seasonal. A portion of proceeds support the Conservation Alliance and protect our winters. Also, the pubs are open for all sorts of to-go eats and dine-in options, depending on local regulations. Help keep the people employed. They're rocking in Boise, Denver, Bend, Portland, and San Diego. And until then, find 10 Barrel in a refrigerated section near you. Or find me and I'll give you one in the wild. Just stay six feet away from me. Hi, I'm Allie Bear. <laughs> so we opened uh, April 1st, 1973. Well, in other words, Dad bought it and opened it then. Um, he bought it from a couple named Bo and Joanne, hence our name Bojo's. He had a little car, I can't remember what kind of car it was, but it was just a two-seater, and he'd drive all the way down to Denver, fill it up with 50-pound bags of flour, you know, as full as he could get it, and drive all the way back up and unload it, and that was, that was his food service. I mean, he did it all, and you know, if you're not working 80 hours a week, you're not working. <laughs> Thank you, Allie. Visit Bojo's locations in Idaho Springs, Arvada, Evergreen, Longmont, Fort Collins, and Steamboat. so much for joining us for Neptune's annual Kicking Into Winter Party. My name is Amy. I'll be your host for the evening. Joel Gratz from Open Snow, again, is giving us the season forecast. Jason Marrer, a guide from Colorado Mountain School, will be giving us tips to get ready for another season in the backcountry, whether it's your first time or you're a veteran. 
Before we dive in, I just want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors this evening, Open Snow, Colorado Mountain School. We had uh, in our giveaway tonight, skis from DPS, bindings from Dina Fit, goggles from Julbo, all sorts of swag, beanies, gloves, and shoes from La Sportiva. We've got a backcountry access beacon up for grabs tonight, uh, phantom waxless glide kits for your skis, and a whole bunch of other goodies to give away tonight. So thank you so much again, everyone who showed up in person and online. It looks like we raised approximately, the full numbers aren't in yet, but $3,500 for the CIAC, or friends of CIAC rather. So thank you for really supporting this essential resource for backcountry users. So with no more ado, I will hand it over to Joel for our season stoke report. Thanks. Awesome. Um, well, first of all, since <laughs> unlike last year or years prior, where there's hundreds of people in the store and it's the energy is incredible. I, I feel virtual energy, but there is almost nobody in the store at the moment. So, uh, and Amy is a good 20 feet away now. So this is my first virtual event. And uh, I mean, thank you for coming. And hopefully next year, uh, we will all be here in person. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But there's a whole ski season before we get to next year and this event. So let's figure out what's going to happen uh, this year and see if we can even figure it out. Because seasonal forecasts are a little tricky. And if you've been following me for a while, you know that I really hate to give seasonal forecasts. But let's take a shot. So first of all, I'm just going to get right to the point. This is the slide you've all been waiting for. This is the seasonal forecast. And because it might look really small, I'm going to read it. Uh, in Colorado, the text, at Colorado, New Mexico, the text here says, not as good as Utah. That's a joke, relax, it's okay. This map was actually made by uh, Dr. Jim Steenberg, who's a meteorology professor at the University of Utah, so he is absolutely biased. But this map has funny things like not as good as Utah, uh, Utah is better than Colorado, uh, up in the Northeast is white ribbons of death. I say that with love because I grew up skiing in the Northeast at Shawnee Mountain, Pennsylvania. Um, this is just poking fun at the fact that it's really hard to make an accurate seasonal forecast. So using these generalities is usually about as good as we can get. But this year is a little bit different because we have a strong signal and we'll get to that in a moment. So let's recap last year before we get to this year. So last year, what happened? Well, this is the map of snowpack throughout Colorado at the end of March. And it might, the numbers might be hard to see on your screen, but the blues are above average snowpack and the greens are near average snowpack. So basically all across the state, we had a pretty good season last year. Let's dig into the details. So, and again, this might be a little hard to see, so I'm gonna do my best TV weather personality uh, impersonation and point. I might get a little bit into the light here, but I'll do my best to um, let the slide speak. Uh, right down here, we started off, in fact, this day, this Thursday, one year ago, I skied powder right before the Neptune talk. It was awesome. And we had a quick start in October. It was fantastic. A couple big storms. But then we flatlined. And it's hard to see, but this line for average snowpack goes flat. So we flatlined for about three weeks from the end of October through the first half of November. Everybody's freaking out. Don't freak out about early season snow. Everything's gonna be okay. Because what happened during the rest of the season last year is we had consistent storms. Our track went up and to the right. Everything was great. Everything was great until COVID. Super bummer for many, many reasons. Skiing kind of the least of which. But COVID ended the resort season early um, and it ended a lot of the backcountry season as there was a lot of you know, talk, should we go out, should we not, should we put ourselves at risk? Um, and so really COVID ended the majority of the season for us. And uh, for those of you that get out in the summer um, and are boaters, we had a faster than average melt out too uh, by a couple of weeks uh, as it was quite warm uh, during spring and early summer. So that was last season. On the balance though, it was good. Started fast, flatlined, went up to the right most of the season, COVID all the way down. So from a skiing perspective, it was actually a pretty good season. So right now, what is happening? 
are we going to get any moisture, any storms, anything? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not, maybe, I don't know. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, this again is going to show up a little bit different. It's gonna be a little bit difficult for you to see, um, but this is a new map that we have on Open Summit, not just, or Open Snow, not just our website, uh, but our iPhone and Android apps. And you can zoom in all these garbled lines over here. When you zoom in on your computer or your phone, you'll see uh, that's Winter Park. We have ski uh, trail maps for almost every ski area in the world. Um, and we're also tracking radar, forecast precipitation, snow depth, all of this is available. And this shows new snow that fell on Sunday. How delightful. We saw a couple inches in the mountains up to about four or five inches at Winter Park and uh, Arapaho Basin and Loveland and Keystone. It was excellent. When we compare how much snow up here was on the ground a few days ago with how much snow down here was on the ground this time last year, we have less snow on the ground now than we did this time last year. Should we worry? Nope, take a sip of your beer. Everything's gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. October snow, I say this every year, you're probably tired of hearing me say this. October snowfall has zero correlation with snow for the rest of the season. Sure, it gets us excited. Yes, I wish it snowed this morning for a number of reasons, but it just doesn't matter in terms of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. So what is going to happen in the next two weeks? We can at least kind of know that, right? Well, if you like to follow the models at home, the weather models, that is, the European model, the American model, the Canadian model, you might have seen the European model last night predict all this blue, that's a snowstorm in Colorado next Thursday. Yes, we're gonna have a snowstorm on Thursday. Gonna put the fires out, everything's great. Hold on a second. That's an eight day forecast. Do you trust a single model and a single model run for an eight day forecast? Absolutely not. Because 12 hours after the European model made this forecast of a snowstorm next Thursday, it made that forecast. This storm disappeared. Previous forecast, newest forecast. <sighs> Don't trust one model run from one model looking eight days into the future. So what is going to happen over the next five to 10 to 15 days? What's going to happen is that that pink line shows the jet stream. The jet stream is generally going to be north of Colorado. That's a bummer because to get snow, we want the jet stream usually to be over or just south of Colorado. So this means that it's likely we're going to miss a lot of the snow. Where's the snow going to go? Well, the eight-day snow forecast, nine-day snow forecast, usually I don't show a map that has a nine-day snow forecast because it's not that trustworthy. Remember what we just saw with the European model, how it flip-flopped? But in this case, nearly all the models agree that the majority of the snow is going to be way up in British Columbia, in Montana, in northern Idaho, in Washington State, and it's going to be just north of Colorado. That's a big bummer. There's a chance that some of these storms, when they come near Colorado, could sag just a little bit further south. Maybe we'll get a little bit of snow, maybe we'll get a little bit of cold air, but it just doesn't look like anything major at this point, which is a bummer, not really for the ski season, because remember, October snowfall does not correlate with uh, snow the rest of the season, but it's a bummer because of the fires that are in Northern Colorado. Uh, for the most part, it's going to stay windy and not that snowy uh, for the next five to 10 days at least, and that's a bummer for the fires. So at least from that standpoint, I hope these models are wrong and that the uh, snow does come down here into Colorado. All right, actually what you've all been waiting for, the snow outlook for the season. What on earth does Joel dressed up in a children's dress, that was a children's dress as a Halloween costume a long time ago, have to do with this season? Well, that's easy, this is a La Nina season and I was teased to dress up as La Nina. So that is me dressed up as La Nina. What does La Nina mean? Well, there's a good chance, before we get to that, there's a good chance of La Nina. Those blue bars, those blue bars show the chance of a La Nina. You know, it's hard to see. It's about an 80% chance throughout the winter. You might say, oh, only an 80% chance? Hey, in meteorology, 80% is about as good as it gets. So we already have a La Nina, and it's going to be here through the winter. The exact strength we'll figure out, but we've got a La Nina. What does La Nina mean? La Nina, La Nina simply means that this area of the Pacific Ocean, we're up here, here's Colorado, this area of the Central Pacific Ocean is colder, the water temperatures are colder than average. That's all it means. Doesn't mean a big snow year, 
It doesn't mean that the storm track's gonna be right over us. La Nina simply means this area of the Pacific Ocean is colder than average. But when this area of the Pacific Ocean is colder than average, oftentimes that translates into a predictable change in the storm track. And this is a graph showing a couple models. This is the average. It's below this dotted line, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a La Nina. All the models agree. Does that guarantee it? In this case, almost yes. So what does La Nina mean for Colorado and snowfall in Colorado? All right, so on the bottom is El Nino and La Nina. So in the red, this means we're over on La Nina, or El Nino. Red is El Nino, blue is La Nina. All those dots you see up there are snowfall for the last 35 years across Colorado. Higher means more snow, left down low means less snow. All these dots again represents a single season's worth of snow in Colorado. So the higher dots, more snow, lower dots, less snow. If they're over here to the right in the red, it's an El Nino year. If they're over to the left in the blue, it's a La Nina year. So we're gonna have a this year. Let's just isolate those years from Colorado over the last 35 years where we had a moderate to even strong La Nina. And we see some really good news. All those dots here, there's six of them, are either at average snow or more than average snow. That's awesome. Is that a guarantee that we get average to above average snow? No, but it's really good that over the last 35 years, a moderate to strong La Nina has provided average to above average snow. And even an average snow year is plenty good, plenty of powder, everything's great. So let's take a look at the storm tracks. These are average storm tracks for a La Nina. There is no single storm track, there are no railroad tracks in the sky. Storms can go wherever they want to go. But these are kind of average storm tracks. And thanks to um, Mike Baker, he's a meteorologist at the National Weather Service here in Boulder that put this map together, I think, over 10 years ago. It's quite useful. Uh, you can see we're kind of on the edge in Colorado and Utah. And we're kind of on the edge, or the Northeast is kind of on the edge of the storm tracks. But on the balance, this is what this looks like, a typical La Nina year. This map shows every moderate La Nina for the last 120 years. And how much <laughs> green and above average. So if you see green over Colorado, that means on average, a moderate strength La Nina brings above average snowfall. That's awesome. Yet another data point, and probably a little hard to see at home, this is the European model forecast for snow for the winter for precipitation. This also has a relatively predictable La Nina storm track with above average precipitation. So everything is pointing toward average or above average precipitation for a lot of Colorado. Maybe not the south, but we'll have to see. So now here's the trick. If we go back and look at the last four moderate La Ninas, what actually happened? So forget about averages now. Just look at the last four La Nina years and what actually happened. So this was a La Nina year, and I believe it was cut out of the top. This is 88, 89. And most of Colorado was average. You see well above average in the Pacific Northwest. The blue dots mean more than average snowfall. This is 98, 99, I believe. Also, Colorado is roughly average, a few dots of below average to the south. This is 99, 2000. Also, Colorado, mostly average, a few red dots to the south. And then this is 0708, where basically the entire country had great snow. All of those were moderate La Ninas. Let me just go back really quick. So for Colorado, we're kind of honed in on average, just below, just above, but around average. But look at the variability in the rest of the country. All of these are moderate La Nina years. This one, this one, this one, this one. So La Nina, while it's kind of predictable, it's not perfectly predictable. And really the surest bet for a La Nina for good snow is in the far Pacific Northwest. Go up to Washington, go up to Northern Idaho, go to BC. That's, I mean, there's no locks in meteorology, but that's as close to a lock in a strong La Nina as you can get. For us here in Colorado, we have the chance of being above average, but probably will at least be average, which would be great. 
again, just to sum it up, of the last 35 years, six of those were kind of moderate to strong La Nina's, all were average to above average. So awesome. All right, so now we've kind of outlooked the entire season. How do we think about chasing powder? Because just saying that the season will be average or above average does not tell us that February 15th will be a powder day. We'll record this and we'll see if February 15th is actually a powder day. That would be kind of ironic and funny. I don't know if it's ironic. I don't know if that's the right definition of the word, but it would be kind of funny. So this is a forecast for the previous storm that we just had in Colorado a few days ago on October, I guess, 11th, 12th. This was the 32-day forecast. If there was a storm over Colorado, you would see a blue blob. There was no blue blob. Can we forecast a storm 30 days out? Usually not. Can we forecast a weather pattern? Colder, warmer than average 30 days out? Sometimes, but definitely not a storm. How about 28 days out? Nope. 25 days out, you see kind of a stormy uh, signal up over the Northwest, but not here. 21 days out, not here. 18 days out, not here. <laughs> 14 days out. Now, 14 days out, that stormy signal is moving closer, but it's still not over Colorado. 11 days out, eh, getting closer. 10 days out, now it's inching in. Now there's a little bit of an inkling that maybe we would see a storm. Ooh, nine days, better chance. Eight days out, forecast is looking good. Seven days out, looking great. Six days out, we're gonna get a storm. Five days out, oh, the storm's even stronger. The blue blob is right over Colorado. We've got this one nailed five days out. Storm's coming, everything's on it, plan your powder day. What actually happened? That. We did get a storm, but it was nowhere near as strong as what was predicted in the five-day forecast. So I have slightly modified this slide that I've used for years um, to say, first of all, eight to 10 days out, that's when we're just kind of we're drinking, we're thinking about, hey, there could be some good storms coming up in a, in a week or so. Let's make a toast. We could be skiing powder in a week, but we're not making any plans yet. Six to eight days out is when you start thinking about clearing your schedule because the forecast is slightly more certain. Three to five days out is when you start pretending you're sick, but since none of us are going to work or at an office, there's really no pretending that you're sick at all because working from a chairlift, working from home, who cares where you are? You're going to answer your Slack messages and pretend that you're working even though you're not and you're skiing powder. So I guess this doesn't really matter anymore, pretending that you're sick. Um, but here's the new, the, the new parts of the slide. One to three days out, we're honing in the forecast. Green light, just go. You are guaranteed to ski a lot more if you go somewhere than if you sit at home hemming and hawing over, is the forecast gonna be perfect and where should I go? Just go. A couple times a year, you're gonna get totally stoned. I get totally stoned. There's a guy on our website and our app called Powder Chaser Steve. This guy literally, like you dream about getting on a plane or getting in a car and driving all night to go chase powder. This guy does it. He's insane. I say that with love. He's amazing, but he's insane. Even he gets skunk. You can go anywhere at any time. He gets skunk sometimes. So don't feel bad if you go and you get skunk. That happens, but you got to go. Otherwise, you'll never have a chance for face shots. And then on the powder day, I get a ton of people that email me like, oh, Joel, I just need you to get up earlier so that you can get your forecast out by, you know, 4.30 or 5 so I can know where to go. Hey, on the morning, I, I appreciate that. I'm trying to get up as early as I can and forecast. And I'm trying to forecast before I go out and ski too, which should be early. So I'm trying to get up as early as I can. But you can make your call the morning of a powder day without me, without the Colorado Daily Snow. We've got all the snow reports, all the snow state cams on open snow. You can just look at a snow state cam and see where it's snowing and get off in the morning. And you're off and you're rolling and you're up I-70 or hopefully you're already somewhere and not battling I-70. Um, and, uh, and hopefully you're having a great powder day. So that was fun. You're gonna go chase powder. You're not going to sit at home hemming and hawing over the forecast. You're just going to go out and get out there. Um, I want to kind of wind down the talk by talking a little bit about climate because people ask me every year, uh, and I want to address it. So first of all, Colorado, a lot of brown. We are an arid state. This is the same slide I said I showed last year, and for good reason. It's a good reminder. We are an arid state. We're in super drought this year. Um, but even when we're not in super drought, we're still in arid state, water and snow is precious. Has snowpack changed over the last 80 years? Again, same slide I showed last year, there's really no difference. 
temperatures have warmed, snowpack, at least at the mid and higher elevations, has not changed. Um, so for the majority of Colorado, being a high elevation state, it's still cold enough, even with warming temperatures, to keep a decent snowpack, even with warming temperatures. So how do we kind of sum up climate? And then I'm gonna um, give you a little example of something that's been in the news recently. One, temperatures have increased. They're likely going to continue to increase. Humans are likely at least partially or majority responsible um, for that. But temperatures are increasing and they'll likely continue to do so. Precipitation, no trend in precipitation. We do not have a trend in storm tracks. So if we happen to not have a good winter this year, don't blame climate for storm tracks because we just do not know if a warming climate will change the storm tracks. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. But even if we don't know anything about the storm tracks, we get the same amount of precipitation and it's warmer, that still means less snow at lower elevations, earlier snow melt, better chances of drought due to evaporation. So let me give you this, this little uh, tidbit that's been in the news lately. Will a warming planet, and especially warming of the poles, North Pole, South Pole, create stronger storms and longer dry periods? So let me break that down. Going for it. Trying to go for it. There we go. It's warm there. It's cold at the poles. Being cold, warm, and cold, that's what actually drives the jet stream, which drives our storms. So the jet stream has little wiggles in it. This is normal. This is why we have storms. The wiggles are the storms. There's a storm. There's a dry spell. There's a storm. There's a dry spell. This is how the atmosphere works. It's cold. It's warm. It's cold. It creates the jet stream. We have storms, stormy times, and dry times. What the concern is, is that as the poles become not as cold, as the poles warm up, and the poles are actually warming faster than the equator. So as the poles warm up, the concern is that the jet stream goes from a little bit of waviness, which is normal, to a lot of waviness. We have even stronger storms or longer and more intense dry spells. That's the concern. So is that actually happening? And the answer is, from the latest study I read that was just published a couple of months ago, not on a long time spell. So this is a lot has been talked about this. Oh, the poles are warming faster. That's going to change storm tracks. We're going to get longer dry spells. We're going to get more intense storms. And this map, if there was anything to show, you'd see big coloring. At least we can't detect it at this point. So to kind of wrap that up, temperatures are warming. Precipitation, we just don't know if there's any trend at all. And it kind of doesn't matter because warming temperatures will still have an impact, even if we don't have a trend in precipitation. Lower or less snow at lower elevations, earlier snow melt, exacerbate drought conditions. So warming temperatures are still a bummer, even if precipitation and snowfall doesn't have a trend specifically. So I wish I could stand here and say, I want to take questions, hoot and holler, cheers with a beer. Um, but I will say, and actually we do have some questions. Uh, just before we do that, I want to thank um, Amy uh, for, she's off screen because I'm not wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to thank Amy for arranging this. A virtual event has a lot of tricks and first time um, snafus that could happen and they have it, which is amazing. So thank you to Amy. Also thanks to everybody who has supported um, CAIC, who launched the membership, um, and for coming in the store and saying hi to me. Hope um, you guys like your swag uh, that you went home with. And also for Open Snow, um, we are partially ad-supported, um, but we also have a subscription uh, that's available on all of our platforms, web, iPhone, Android. Um, and coming out in just a couple of days, not only do we have um, a single subscription, we also have a group subscription, just like uh, family plan for Netflix or Spotify or something like that. It will be priced at $39.99 for four logins. So if you're the person that always tells your friend, you read Open Snow and then you tell your friends what to do and they all ask you, well, now you can just sign them up. They'll owe you a beer. Before we get to Jason from Colorado Mountain School, the folks at Neptune have created a discount code for the Wintry Mix folks. Uh, discount code, all caps, Wintry Mix, one word to get $10 off any ski shop work at Neptune. Offer valid in-store 10.15 to 11.30. So October 15th through November 30th, $10 off ski shop work at Neptune with discount code 
Wintry Mix. Thanks, guys. One word, Wintry Mix. Hi, everyone. So no way to really give Joel a great round of applause that he deserves, but thank you for your awesome questions. Thanks for tuning in. Excited that it's hopefully going to be a, a more than average snow year. Next up, we have Jason Maurer, a Colorado Mountain School ski guide. So feel free, keep using the chat, send it to everyone if you have any questions. He's going to give us some tips on backcountry preparedness for this season. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Annie. All right, there we are. Cool. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jason Maurer, and I'm the Avalanche program director here at Colorado Mountain School for this season, and I'm psyched to talk about backcountry preparedness. Cool. Uh, I will try to talk really loud, so let us know in the chat if I am not sounding off loud enough for everyone there. Um, so wh where can we start with our backcountry preparedness? So when does it start? I think it like, starts early season. Um, now, if not a month ago, I was going through my gear, looking at my boots, checking out the, my bindings, making sure I didn't adjust anything from last season. Um, I'm also checking, uh, you know, my beacon, uh, my beacon, making sure the batteries have been refreshed or that I took them out from last season so they didn't get corroded. So I think really sussing out your gear um, ahead of time will really help um, make it so you don't get to the trailhead and end up with these issues kind of last minute on your first powder day. Everyone's kind of stoked. Um, a good example would be, uh, you know, two seasons ago, a close a ski buddy of mine, you know, gets his beacon out. Um, and as he's putting it away, after we do our beacon checks, it kind of turns itself off um, automatically. So we found out that there was an error with his beacon that day, and that was the first day out. So I definitely gave him a hard time for that. I was like, hey, man, you know, this is why, you know, a couple days in advance, we want to uh, check out our gear, check out everything. So then we don't show up at the trailhead, and then all of a sudden we're unprepared. You kind of got to scrap the date because you don't have the proper avalanche safety gear to have with the packager. Um, so each season, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm sussing out my gear. I'm looking at my skis. I'm checking to make sure none of my boots um, have any broken buckles on them, things like that. I may also be, uh, you know, checking out my skins and cleaning out, uh, cleaning the bottom of my skins out, making sure uh, the tail and tip attachment are still in good shape. So think about things that might shut down your day while traveling around in the backcountry and try to, uh, you know, nip that in the bud ahead of time before heading out there. Um, so I urge you tonight to check out your gear, maybe start building a kit. Um, think about what you're bringing in the backcountry as well. I brought my uh, BCA Flow 42 liter pack tonight um, to show you kind of what I carry uh, when I go into the backcountry on pretty much a regular basis on a personal day or if I'm guiding. I'm going to carry this essential gear with me at all times. Um, and this could be a good chance for you to check out kind of what I carry and maybe improve upon your kit. Um, check out what kind of rescue kit, uh, rescue sled I carry, what kind of repair kit I have, first aid kit, things like that. Um, we want to keep things light. For our new backcountry travelers, if we think about, um, you know, what we did at the resort, you know, we had to dress warmer. We're hanging on the lift a little bit longer. We're hanging out um, in lines, things like that. So we got to dress warmer. In the backcountry, we kind of want to dress in layering so that we can, um, we don't overheat. So you're going to be moving a lot more. You're going to be moving uphill, skinning and then just creating a lot of heat. And we wanna be able to not uh, be hanging out on top when you're transitioning and be all wet. So gear is very important. Layering is super important in the backcountry. Um, so we're just getting to my gear right here, kind of what I carry. I'm gonna go ahead and expose my pack real quick and just kind of show up the screen what I carry in the backcountry. Um, we'll start at the top here. And of course, goggles and an extra pair of sunglasses, believe it or not, come in very handy. Um, goggles on a super windy day, it's just like, you know, it's like a little face condo, I like to call it. it keeps your face nice and warm. Um, <laughs> and then the extra sunglasses for those sunny days, believe it or not, that'll shut down a day. Snow blindness is real. Uh, I've had friends who have gotten it. So, um, you know, really sunny days here in Colorado on the front range, you want to have some sunglasses. Um, and of course, on this pouch here, I have all of my avalanche safety gear. So, probe, probe shovel all nicely tucked away in its own pouch, uh, and nothing else goes in there but my avalanche um, safety. We go into the large portion of the pouch here, kind of pull some stuff out. This is 42 liters, so it carries a lot. I kind of like to have a bigger pack, trying to stuff everything into this really small pack. I like to carry. This is a 42. Yeah, I generally average from like a 32 to a 42, but for guiding, a lot of stuff I like the 42. Um, so yeah, good puffy, you know, especially earlier season, you think, oh, it's October, it can't be that cold yet, but believe it or not, our bodies aren't accustomed to how cold it is. 
I feel like early season, I'm way colder until my skin gets toughened up and, you know, get used to that cold weather. Um, this is my little water bottle. Make sure you have at least, you know, a liter of water in the backcountry. Um, this is my small first aid kit. I carry, you know, basic stuff to fix, you know, someone takes a tree branch to the face or um, maybe busts or rolls their knee or something like that, skiing down. So I got, um, you know, haste bandages, things like that, some tape, um, just some basic first aid kit there. Um, talking about first aid, we'll roll into my, uh, my rescue sled that I carry here. So this is kind of like a drag bag. It's about, you know, four mil thickness nylon. Think about a really heavy duty uh, type shower curtain. Um, and you can make some of these uh, sleds out of, out of, you know, material you can find at Home Depot as well, kind of, you know, on a budget. So think about tarps. Um, you can buy maybe some lightweight PVC piping. Um, this is an older version one of a Brooks Range Mountaineering sled uh, called the Eskimo sled that I know a lot of ski guides here at the Mountain School carry. Um, so this comes with me on all trips. And I've, over, you know, I'd say about three times in my career, I busted out for real um, scenarios and drag some people out of the backcountry, and it's super handy. It's either going to make a... Uh, a rescue take you know, five to six hours um, could be done in an hour to two hours. So, there. Uh, I'm also carrying a repair kit with me um, every time I head in the backcountry. Some major items I carry in my repair kit are going to be, you know, maybe some Dyneema or cord to, to pull that sled. Um, extra volet straps or ski straps always come in handy. Fixing boots, uh, getting skins reattached to skis that aren't sticking anymore. Um, Think about what kind of gear you need to fix your setup. So what kind of tail clips or uh, tip attachments to your skins should you carry in case you have a skin malfunction? Uh, what type of buckles, uh, you know, fit on your boot style? Uh, maybe carry an extra couple pieces of those. Uh, I'm also carrying some extra ski pole baskets as well. Uh, you know, losing a ski pole basket tree is good really hard to tour and actually ski downhill, believe it or not, without uh, proper powder baskets. I'm carrying up some extra trinkets as well as far as, um, let's see here, a little screwdriver, a couple screws, some steel wool. Uh, what if we have a binding blowout? How are we going to get, uh, you know, back to the trailhead, back to the car? Uh, sometimes just a little kit with uh, some super glue and some screws. Maybe you can get that binding to reattach to get you back uh, so you're not skiing on one ski. So think about what type of repair kit you might want to have on you um, to fix things on the fly in the backcountry. And kind of, you know, it doesn't need to be heavy. It can be super lightweight. Um, zip ties work great. Uh, you know, hose clamps I like for fix, fixing broken ski poles. But the idea here is we're trying to be just way more prepared for heading um, into the backcountry. We may not have the resources that we do at the uh, resort. Um, we'll keep digging around in the pack here. I, I always carry like two pairs of gloves. I want to keep my hands warm. Um, digging in the snow and doing snowpack observations, your, your gloves will get wet generally, so it's nice to put on a nice and warmer pair of gloves. Uh, you know, winter hat as well. And then my communication in the backcountry is a BCA link radio. So having communication with your partners, you know, after skiing down from the ridge, you can radio go back up, oh, hey, man, ski right on my tracks. Uh, you know, the snow over here was really punchy, things like that. So it can really actually improve the enjoyment of the day once you get out there and start moving around. So like the radios, um, that's just for communication within your group, but you know, if something goes wrong out there, I'm gonna carrying like my inReach Mini. So these are really cool if you have, if you're familiar with uh, personal location devices, the Mini can like link to my phone and I can get use of my contacts and I can text people back, uh, back at home uh, what's going on uh, with my inReach. So, that is like, uh, in case a real accident happens, we're gonna bust that out. Um, sun's going down early these days, right? Sunset's what, 6.30, 7 o'clock? Headlamp, crucial. Uh, this time of season, head down to the mountains. All right, what else I got in here? We'll keep digging around. A couple things I carry um, that I think are really good for, you know, touring around the back early season and later season is some wax and a scraper. So a nice, good plastic aluminum scraper to scrape off uh, snow that gets stuck on your ski bases or the tops of your skis. Um, and then I got some glop wax, which is a really good type of wax. It's a hard wax you can put on your skins, and that'll keep it from snow sticking to the bottom of your skis, sticking to the bottom of your skins while going uphill. This is probably more of like a springtime phenomenon. Uh, we call it glop. Um, 
and it can these big icebergs form up on the bottom of your skis and they can hard to skip. So you put this on there, it helps out with the glide, helps out with that snow sticking. And then just having some glide wax as well on those super super cold days. You know, the colder it is, it seems like the stickier the snow gets on your skis. So you got to have that cold weather wax on those cold powder days if you want to go fast and uh, kind of beat your friends out on the egress trail, especially the car. Cool. A couple other things, you know, you get side powders. There's plenty of little stashes in this pack. Oh yeah, slope meter, last thing, super important. Make sure you bring in your slope meter, measuring slope angles. Well, there we go. That's what I carry in my float bag. Most times on backcountry, minus uh, some snacks and some food. Um, I guess the one thing you think about, um, you know, at the end of last season, I put this pack away without pulling the trigger. So there's always that question, you know, maybe you want to pull that trigger, make sure it's uh, still all connected right through the summer. Know, some freak happens, some mouse got in your back and I'm a little swage, who knows. Um, but it could be a good idea just to pull that bag. It's always good practice. Um, make sure it releases and then you can always run to BCA and they'll fill it up for free for you. So cool. Should we pull it and see if it deploys? Yeah. It's always that interesting thing. Yeah. You never want to be on the slope and like, hey man, this is uh this has been loaded since last April. <laughs> Let's see if yeah. uh, jostling it around. This is another thing that we need to practice with uh, regularly in the back is we're going to have these advanced uh, devices like float bags. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I have been caught in avalanche before, and it was the last thought on my mind to pull this back. I actually had the bag on, but I wasn't fully buried. Um, but yeah, so you got to get used to pulling this thing. I suggest when you're skiing out at the end of the day near the trailhead, just, you know, get used to it because it's, it's a little bit different when you got ski poles in your hand. You might have to figure out what you're going to do. You're going to ditch them, you know, and you will be so shocked when you're swept off your feet and that one it may not, um, you know, may not come to your fruition to like you can. Do. And it worked. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So, Bring it back to talking about the float bag. Um, this is a great advancement in technology. You know, I ski with one. Um, what we, what thing we want to watch out for, we don't want it to influence our decisions in the backcountry and, and get us into, uh, you know, taking unnecessary risks just so we feel like we got this uh, extra tool on our back or extra seat belt. When, you know, over 25% of the fatalities here um, in Colorado are due to trauma. So. Uh, if you're swept into some trees or into a terrain trap, you know, the, the float bag isn't, isn't going to really work as well as, it, as it's designed to. Cool. Any questions so far? Yeah. Duke the dog asks, what is the steel wool for? Oh, the steel wool can act as um, kind of like a an extra spacer for the screw. So you put some uh, super glue and the steel wool and whatever got what stripped from that old um, pocket that the screw was in, the steel wool can help create a catch for that. That makes sense. An extra yeah. groove. Like a quiver killer, is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a quiver killer type. Wow. Quick fix. Yeah. And Jacob asks, how much water do you carry, Jason? In the wintertime, I generally carry a liter of water and I always get in trouble for not drinking enough. So <laughs> I end up at home with a headache, but I tend to not drink as much when it's cold. Uh, summertime, I drink like three times the amount of that much when I'm working. Uh, but in the winter, yeah, I mean, you can err on a liter and a half, I think, but a liter tends to work pretty well for me. Got a few more minutes for questions here, friends. If anyone wants to use the chat, send your questions, anything, day in the life of a backcountry ski guide, anything else that might go in your pack. Just a note, this year Neptune is carrying a women-specific um, avalanche airbag pack. So I think that's a pretty cool tech development as well. How important is the snow saw for you? The snow saw? Oh, it's, it just makes cutting up the snow a lot easier. Loving the snow saw. <laughs> yeah, love the snow saw. And I would like to add, you know, as part of being prepared in the backcountry, you know, the gear is just the first part. Um, you know, Joel talked a lot of good, 
brought, brought a lot of good points up about tracking seasons, conditions, and, and watching the snowpack throughout the season. So I'm a big advocate of that as far as, you know, um, I look back to last year, October 28th was my first day out in the backcountry um, up near the Eisenhower Tunnel Zone. And you could, you could see like the storm before that and then the storm we had just got. So it's easier to start tracking early so you get an idea of, of the layer interfaces as we go along than to get into it mid-season. Um, which is just more of a fact, you know, check out CAIC. I read it on a daily basis, even though I'm not, I may not be going to the backcountry that day, just to keep up with the advice that they may be uh, precasting or you know, forecasting for the weekend. What's my secret stash is for Pal? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a contention this year. Are you year. hired? Huh, what's up? Can we hire you to find that? Yeah, you can hire me, I'll show you my secret stashes. And, in rocky, well-known areas. Um, I've been skiing in, in, uh, in the Front Range here for 17 years. I took my avalanche education originally back in the early 2000s with Colorado Mountain School. And uh, now I work there full-time, avalanche program director. So if you're interested in some avalanche education, um, look into what we got going on this season. We're not doing classrooms. We're doing uh, good social distance type courses with some Zoom meetings and a lot of some online learning as well through our membership program at Colorado Mountain School. And then we're still having some awesome days, two days in the field. So two full days, uh, probably gonna be a little bit more travel than, than past seasons. We're gonna get into deeper into the backcountry and base a lot of this education on ID, IDing avalanche train, avoiding it, and just making good calls within your group. So I'm psyched on the, the track that this, uh, our avalanche education program is taking on this year. And Bill asked, what is your preferred whiskey for backcountry skiing? Oh, preferred whiskey, yeah. Uh, a good one, it's a hard one out there. And how often do you have to replace your beacon? Asks Ryan McCarty. Um, I would just look into upgrading uh, to get a three antenna beacon. Um, you know, the, the BCA is a great line, the Tracker 3, and then there's the new, um, the new Tracker that's coming out. But I would just look into getting a, a, an updated three antenna beacon. If you have an older DTS type first generation BCA or an older, uh, you know, single two antenna beacons, it's time to upgrade for sure. Old leather telemarks right on, old school. Uh, as far as like boot recommendations for backcountry, I would say if you're just getting into the backcountry, compared to resort, you don't want that high performance, super tight boots to carbon turns. You want a roomier boot. Uh, your feet are gonna swell and sweat a little bit more from being on them all day. And, and you want a roomier boot, not too roomy so your feet are squishing around in there, but get a proper boot fit, um, get a proper mold on those boots. Um, because I've seen that shut down a lot more people more than anything else in the backcountry is that the blisters, their toes, their feet are just wrecked. So invest some time in getting some good gear. Um, you know, for backcountry specific, if you're, if you're looking to be, retire from the resorts and just do backcountry, I really urge you to go lighter, lighter the better. Um, I'm a big DinaFit fan, been rocking DinaFit uh, gear for years. Um, so yeah, and I think it, it works well if you want to dip in the resort here and then. Cool. What was the other, the Peeps controversy too? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into that. But. Um, think about proper ways where areas you want to wear your beacon, right? Manufacturers suggest it's on the chest harness. Um, I'm guilty of wearing it in a pocket when I guide because I'm always checking people's uh, beacons. But some of these beacons, right, if, you, if, you, if it's hit in a certain way or you, you fall or you get lanced and dragged through some debris, uh, the pocket may not be the most safe spot. I'll say I had Jason as my guide for an airy course in Rocky Mountain in the spring definitely would recommend anyone who's thinking about perhaps getting in the backcountry for the first time this season. It's so important to get that proper etiquette and education and mentorship to keep yourself and others safe. So be sure to check out Colorado Mountain School. Neptune will be sharing their online avalanche awareness courses through our social media and email soon. So keep an eye out for that. Um, so that'll be virtual this year. There will be group options and go at your own pace education. So Definitely, yeah, make sure you're going with knowledgeable people and making good decisions out in the backcountry this year.
And it's rant time. Okay, I said no politics, but the rant doesn't count. The one seat that is really up for grabs in Colorado is the 3rd Congressional District. A lady with a long criminal record and a recently achieved GED is up against an experienced and educated public servant. As you could guess, the GOP candidate is the inexperienced criminal who says guns and freedom and MAGA every other sentence and lives to tweet new conspiracies. It's what she's good at. If you think forest fires and science are hoaxes, then she's your candidate. If you live in western or southern Colorado, meaning almost every ski town in the state, you have a choice. Reality or bullshit? Choose wisely. End of rant. by Adam Levy. Toss me those five-star Apple Podcast ratings if you want to show you care. Email me, alex at wintrymixcast.com if you want to make a pitch or have an idea. Follow on Instagram at wintrymixcast or find the show on Facebook or Twitter. There's also a COVID versus ski business group that I admin with around 500 not insane people sharing their informed perspectives as we proceed. Want some stickers? Hit me up on the gram and I'll send you some. And car talk. Get me six questions. 802-560-5003. I have one great one already. Thanks, Barbara from Pennsylvania. So we just need five more. Stick around for after the beep. Goodbye. Are we live? Yes. Oh, cool. Hi, everyone. <laughs> We will get started in just a minute or two. Crack open your beer, your second beer, and the show will start momentarily. I'm so sorry we all can't be here together. It's such a fun night. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We'll give it one more minute to let a few more people hop on here, and then we'll do some quick introductions before heading into the main event. That's awesome. Good work. And reminder, $10 off ski shop work through November 30th with code WINTRYMIX at Neptune Mountaineering in Boulder.